All righty. Well, it is wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for coming out. Some of you got kids in youth. Some have got a sitter. We appreciate that. And uh, it's so wonderful to see you. We are so proud of our families and our future families here at Vintage. And just say from the very start, we're one family. Principally, we're one family here at Vintage. It takes a whole church to raise a child. And that includes multi-generations. It includes married, singles, everyone. And we could not have survived without other members of our church family helping us and raising our children. But it's great to have you here. And this evening really is an opportunity for us to begin a new ministry, a new season at Vintage to invest in future parents and parents here in our church to see how we can raise and disciple children to be uh, passionate Jesus followers uh, as we live in this great city of LA. So I'm going to pray and then we've got a packed program. So we're going to get going. Okay, so let's pray and then we'll start. So Father, we thank you so much that you're with us that you are our shepherd and that you guide us and you are with us and you equip us in this great vocation of raising and discipling children. And so as we lean into your wisdom, we pray that you'd be with us tonight to encourage us, to provoke us, to train us, to see our kids thrive in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, everyone knows that raising and discipling kids is much harder in LA than anywhere else. I thought actually it was a terrible idea before we moved here. I thought there's no way that we want to move to LA to raise our kids. But tonight I actually want to reverse that thinking in your mind. I actually want to reverse that thinking in your mind that actually LA could be the best place to raise and disciple your children that there's a mind shift that can happen by the Holy Spirit that actually sees this to be one of the best places to raise and disciple your kids in LA. This mind shift, this kind of light bulb moment happened to me when I listened to a, a talk, a seminar on kind of my headphones one day by Tim and Kathy Keller of Redeemer Church in New York. And they had seen so many families leave the city because they thought raising kids outside the city was better for the kids. So they gave this seminar on why it takes a city to raise a child. And they gave the advantages and disadvantages of raising children in the city. And the light bulb went on for me of, actually, based on that, I want to raise my kids in the city. And I want to disciple them in the city. That was our journey moving from Raleigh, North Carolina to here. And that was my light bulb moment, but it took a bit longer for my wife to feel the same. So I want to invite Lizzie up. Lizzie, come on up. Hey, Gear. It's our wedding anniversary today. <laughs> 21 years, and I'm only 31. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's weird, illi- isn't that's it? Illegal. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, yeah. So let me take you back to, to, to 2009. Right. We were in Raleigh, North Carolina. We had three children, age one, four, and five. Correct. I had been invited to start a new church in LA, and we were discerning whether we should do this or not. Right. How did the prospect of moving to LA and raising kids here feel for you? The worst idea you've ever had. <laughs> I was scared. I mean, really petrified. 
It was just not on my radar at all, at all. Why was that? Um, we had found stability as a family. We had moved um, probably three countries, four years, two careers, and I'd found stability. I'd found friends. We were living in what I considered the ideal environment to bring up kids. We had a really nice big house with a pool. We lived in a cul-de-sac. The entire street was filled with families with kids our age, so it was just you know, kids living their best life, climbing trees, riding bikes. I knew that someone would call me and say, hey, by the way, your kids are at my house. And Sam was a newborn, so I knew I could give him time while the girls were out being kids. And when I asked you what coming to LA meant, <laughs> you said, well, there's no money, there's no church, we'll have to live in an 800-square-foot apartment, um, and, but it's going to be great. So I had listened to this talk by Tim and Kathy Keller, but Lizzie hadn't. And Lizzie, actually, that's probably fair to say, wasn't too open for me giving her things to listen to. And so one day, she was, uh, we were both working in the back room doing various house chores, and I, she came in, and I was listening to it. And then I suddenly got called away and left her in the room listening to this talk by Tim and Kathy Keller. Uh, and you listened to the whole thing. I did. And what difference did that talk make for you? What was maybe one or two things that were helpful in that talk for you about coming to LA? Yeah, very clever of him, wasn't it? Um, well, I think the biggest thing that happened, there were two things that happened, and it stopped me in my tracks. I was actually folding all the girls' baby clothes to give away to charity because they were, you know, we were done having babies. So... Um, I was convicted firstly that I was being ruled by fear and that when I listened to Tim and Kathy and how they had processed it, <laughs> they'd been much more godly than I was. When Gare told me, I just said, no, like you can go, but I'm not. <laughs> and, um, and then when Gare said, can you pray about it? I said, I will, but surely God would have told me first because I make the decisions. Um, so I was feeling really convicted that I um, was being ruled by fear. And then the most important thing was I had always, always felt that there was something much bigger than myself at play in my faith. And I was ready to be part of a big picture with God, which is why we jumped out of corporate world to do ministry and start again as late 30-year-olds with kids. So um, he said, the thing he said was, culture is being made in the cities and then it is transported out to the suburbs. So by the time it gets to the suburbs, cities have moved on to the next culture so the city, the suburbs are behind, but they're living out what's been made in the city. So if you, and I was thinking my whole fear-based thinking was, if we stay where we were, my kids would be safe, that I could protect their faith because there was a sub-Christian culture. And um, so I was really convicted of, hang on a minute, this is on its, turned on its head. I think I'm doing the right thing in the burbs but actually what's been set in the city is what my kids will have at school and in society. So I need to get to the city and be part of shaping that. So I was 
totally undone by the end of the talk that um, I was doing my kids a disservice by trying to protect them. And final, final question, let's forward, fast forward to today. Mm. And if you would say just one thing, very briefly, one thing briefly? to Lizzie 10 years ago, mm. who was in fear. Yeah. Now with hindsight, what would you encourage her with? Uh, I think all Christians should move to the cities. I really do. I think we need to take back the city. Um, and I would have loved somebody to tell me, straighten my eyes in all seriousness, that you have to fight for your kids' faith. And you need to do it in the city because everything is obvious where things are hidden in the burbs. Uh, so I wasn't as prepared when I came for the fight that would be over my kids' faith. And so that's my biggest thing is you have to fight, you have to do everything to secure your kids' faith. But we need to do it in the city. Amazing. Thanks, Lizzie. You're welcome. Alrighty, well, we're going to begin our evening and by introducing Sarah. Sarah is our new family director, which is very exciting. And she's going to take us through some of the points that Tim and Kathy make, but some other things about raising kids in the city. Let's welcome Sarah. And I don't know, Patrick, am I, am I on here? Yes, well, yeah, so um, Gare gave me the disadvantages, <laughs> the challenges, so to speak, from that Keller talk. Um, thank you, Gare and Lizzie, not just for your words tonight, but um, for your obedient and courageous faith to start this church, and not just bring your family here, but to help create this church family that we all are enjoying. Um, quickly for my background, for those I haven't met yet, um, John and I, my husband John is here in the second row, <laughs> um, married, and we came to LA because John had taken a job here just as we had started dating. We were in Washington, D.C., and neither of us could have imagined that we would be here much longer than our newlywed years. Um, but the Lord had other plans. And while I did not have the encouragement of this Keller sermon, um, the Lord did give me a passage that I want to share with you guys tonight, um, the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, which truly became a major framework for my life. Um, it's the passage where the prophet is speaking to the Jewish people who were taken into exile in Babylon. And I want to read these verses now. Verses four through seven, which I think, yes, are behind me. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So first of all, this passage spoke to me um, because I truly felt like the Lord had brought me to Babylon. Um, I had never even been to L.A. Um, I was very much a Midwestern turned East Coast girl. And if you had told me even just a year before we came, we came in 2000, that I would be setting up shop here for any length of time, let alone starting my family, you might as well have told me I was relocating to Mars. I mean, it was like those were about the same in my imagination at that point. And I don't get me started about what my mother thought of me raising children in L.A. 
She was not, she loved John. She was really not into the plan that was seemed to be coming, coming forth before her eyes. And again, it seemed very much to me that I was in exile. Um, and I quickly realized that I, I had no idea how to even be, let alone how to start a family in this city. Um, so these early verses of Jeremiah 29, not the famous verse 11, which we'll get to a little later, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Um, these early verses became my mantra. And 20 years, one years later, we both were married in the same year, I don't think I realized that, um, they are still the scaffolding for how I view life and parenting here in LA. So more on that, but let's dive into some of the details. And you have a folder, hopefully, if you were able to grab that. If you are a note-taking type of person, we did put an outline in there um, of the Keller um, listed several disadvantages, three in particular. And again, Gare gave me the disadvantages, the fun job. Um, and this, again, is our L.A. version of this Keller sermon, which really blessed Gare and Lizzie, which we have, have tweaked um, to share with you guys tonight because it really is have so many um, just strands of truth about raising kids in a city. So the first one is cost of living and its impact on families. This is one of the challenges of raising kids in an urban environment. And I don't think I need to unpack that too much. We all know um, how expensive it is to raise children and the strain that it is by living in a place that has an increased cost of living. Um, the second one that Keller pointed out that is also very true in LA is how complicated the educational landscape is. Um, in addition to the choice, if you can afford it, of private or public schools, just within the public school milieu, there are charters and permits and magnets and points and all that stuff, depending upon what district you're in, but it's all just extremely complicated. Um, and finally, Keller pointed out that, that the, simply the sheer, sheer logistics of living in a place in a city that isn't especially kid-friendly, um, although he is, is, is just a challenge. It's just a challenge to be in a city environment. And we're not Manhattan in the way, you know, we don't have the same logistical challenges that they have of like subways and strollers and, you know, walk-ups and stuff like that. Um, not necessarily anyway. But what made me laugh out loud was he actually pointed out, though, as this point of encouragement, he's like, but that's just the front nine, the, the first nine years of life. In the back nine in Manhattan, it gets easier because they can be on subways and you don't have to worry about kids driving and da -da -da. they can get themselves places. And I was like, <laughs> not so much in LA. Like, it just gets worse, actually. So I'm here to tell you that. Like, Lizzie, can I get some love? Like, it's like the... I don't know, they're both the same. They're both hard, just the sheer logistics of raising kids here. Um, and so again, we do share a lot of these same disadvantages, the cost, the school puzzle, and these logistics. And I could not agree more that I do think these make life especially challenging. And we need to have eyes wide open of the impact of that on our lives. Because it's unusually exhausting to be raising your kids in that environment and ultimately seeking to disciple your children, which is the calling on our lives. And, and because of this exhaustion, I did realize a few things along the way. Um, and I will note that I, I'm speaking in the first person as a mom, but I very much mean we in terms of m me and John. Um, but I have two thoughts on these challenges that I just want to leave you with. Um, first, just that we had to learn to adjust our expectations. 
And whether those expectations came from our childhood or from other families we knew or, you know, as Lizzie clearly had expectations about what the perfect environment was to raise children. And some of these are real and true things. They're not, you know, imaginary fictional things. There are good things about being able to be in a cul-de-sac and all of that. But we had to adjust our expectations because our life as a family in an urban environment wasn't necessarily going to look like what we had imagined. Um, for example, I definitely could not have imagined that when our kids were little, uh, we had what I call the triple threes um, happening at our house, meaning we, had, we happened to have three kids, three and under, and we lived in a third floor walk-up in Venice. <laughs> so, needless to say, absolutely exhausting. And with this, I for sure had to be careful not to compare my life to my sister's in the suburbs where she had a different set of threes, meaning she basically had three blocks in one direction where all her kids would go to school and just like toddle along to school. They built their house, they da 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 da. Three blocks in the other direction was like the place, the park where they played all their sports. You know, it was just like right there laid out for them. And then I, I might be making this up, but I swear her grocery shopping was also like three blocks in the other direction. So it was completely polar opposite. Um, and again, I just encourage you to take a look at what your expectations are and what's shaped them and consider how you might need to adjust them given the realities of raising kids um, in an urban environment. The second thing that I came to realize is that a lot of the exhaustion of parenting in LA falls in the category of something I only recently came to understand more. And it's something I wish I had known more about when my kids were little. It's something that people are now calling invisible labor. Now, how many people have heard that phrase? Okay, yeah, Google it. Um, could have a whole talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about it, moms, at the nest um, that's going to be coming up. And basically, what I have realized is that so much of what makes the challenges of LA um, in particular is that the fact that they increase the level of mental labor that you have to do to raise children in a city. Um, they Yes, they're exhausting in the obvious ways, like the driving alone is just exhausting physically, but primarily they're exhausting in kind of sneaky ways, if that makes sense, um, as we are trying to organize our family lives in a place that isn't designed for families, um, a place that is, again, less than kid-friendly. And thus, parenting here in LA has the potential to wear us down in ways that we don't even realize. And this, I believe, is something that is critical to understand for the sake of our mental and emotional energy and health as parents. The health of our marriages is at stake because the so part of the toll of invisible labor is that people don't feel seen and that can affect our relationships. Um, and ultimately also for our spiritual health. I really believe even in a new way as I was preparing this talk um, that this type of exhaustion from invisible labor is actually spiritually dangerous. I'm convinced it plays into the playbook of the spiritual forces at work to keep us from discipling our children, to keep us fighting the fight that Lizzie talked about. Um, and this leads me to the fourth challenge, again, if you're taking it, your note taker, um, that Gare and I actually added. We're like, take this, Tim Keller. <laughs> um, and that is that in addition to cities not being necessarily kid-friendly, we know, um, and if you don't, I think we all know, but we will know 
increasingly that we live in an age and we live in a city that is very much not kingdom friendly. So not kid friendly and not kingdom friendly. This is where we are. Which brings me back again to Jeremiah 29. Um, this idea that we are a people in exile. We are a people, a homeless people, people without homes who are trying to make homes. And there is a dissonance in that um, as we seek to raise our children here in this city. Um, and while that's true actually everywhere for believers, the suburbs of Raleigh, the suburbs of Detroit where my sister is, it's something we simply can't ignore here in LA. Or if we try to ignore it, it will be to our disadvantage. And so again, this scripture, which we're gonna just put up the next few verses, um, has provided me with a blueprint for how to do life here. So after the beginning of Jeremiah 29, um, it talks about, let's see, is it up? I'll get there in a minute. Um, in addition to praying, which again is the first thing that we need to be about as we're facing like the cultural and spiritual battles, which again are everywhere, but are just more, quite frankly, in our faces here in LA. And secondly, in verses eight and nine, we have a second part to the Lord's instructions. So that's the first part, there we go. Um, it says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And these verses remind me, actually, as I was preparing for this, they remind me of the commissioning of Joshua when he was commissioned to lead the people into the promised land, when he was commanded to be especially careful, especially careful in his leadership. And I feel like that is such a word to us as parents. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. That's the word to Joshua. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right. And so we ourselves as parents, um, we need to consider our own lives and the discipleship of our own lives. We need to be careful we need to be careful not to bow down to the idols around us, as was true back for Jeremiah back in the day, not to conform to the patterns of this world, not to get so worn down that we are not alert spiritually, and not to mention psychologically and physically and all the other ways that this raising children will wear you down. And so again, we know so many of these things, but just we wanted to encourage you tonight to remember and to take an inventory of being careful in your own personal life and in your own spiritual life, and to follow the practices that we all know are there for our spiritual health, to be especially careful living in a city to practice Sabbath, and to guard your marriages if you're married. We need to be taking care of all of our relationships because we need each other, and we're gonna talk more about that later and in the weeks and months and hopefully years to come. We need to lean into each other, and we need to lean into our God as we build houses and settle down and increase in number here in our own Babylon, <laughs> in our generation. Um, for he is faithful, and he has plans for us. If he has planted us here, I believe, and I choose to believe, that he will equip us to bloom where we are planted and to make a way for our children to bloom and to thrive. Um, but I didn't even know what Lizzie was going to say, but th that afternoon I just, I put a pause in my notes here to say, do we really believe this? That, that 20, Jeremiah 29, 11, that's like, 
I don't know why my car wash always has those little signs in it and all the greeting cards. Like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Do we really believe this or has fear captured our parenting? Um, this has been a struggle for me every step of the way. My daughter's 19. Um, and so I ask this question with all love and grace and encourage us all to be honest with the Lord just to continually confess if, the, if fear has crept into our parenting here in the city. Um, and we'll have time to pray at the end of tonight. And so perhaps your prayer needs to be, I believe, but help my unbelief when it comes to these matters. I pray that prayer all the time because I need to pray that to have the eyes to see God's provision for my family and his blessing here even in L.A. And this leads me to our next part, Baton passing again with Gare. He gets to talk about the blessings of raising your family here. How did that happen? Um, so I'm going to pass this to him for now. Great. Thank you, Sarah. Amazing. And Sarah's going to come up with some more advantages. Uh, but we did want to start with, we know it's tough. You know, we're not just going to come in the room and just say, hey, this is great. We know it's difficult. But Sarah and I want to go through some of the advantages, some of the mind-opening advan advantages of raising your kids and discipling your kids in the city. I'm going to begin with one, and Sarah's got three more, but I'm going to begin with the big one, which is this. I absolutely passionately believe that the best place to raise your kids so that they become lifelong followers of Jesus is a city like Los Angeles. I do not want to raise my kids out of a global city like LA for the sake of of their faith. The calling I have on my life as a dad, the calling that my wife has as a mother, and together we, are, we have as parents, the primary calling is to see our, Jesus, our kids follow Jesus, to see them grow up passionate, deep, robust faith in following Jesus for the rest of their lives. And I can't think of a better place to do that than Los Angeles. Now, most of you are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. This is a post-Christian city where Christianity has moved from the majority to the minority, from the center to the fringe, from respected to disrespected. We all know the climate in which we're living. We know the educational system. We know the ideologies that are circul circulating in the ether around here. We know all of those things. So why on, earth, why on earth am I actually trying to make the case that if you want to see your kids follow Jesus with passion, this is a great city to see that in? Well, I believe that our kids can grow up because they live in Los Angeles. They can grow up with a personal faith. They can grow up with a personal faith. My observation of kids in LA is that very early in their age, in their years, they've got to make the decision, do I believe this? Do I personally believe this? Not that my, it doesn't matter what my parents think, but actually, what do I think? At the age of 11, 12, 13, they're starting to, starting to explore whether they believe this to be true. To follow Jesus is a personal decision. And as parents, we want to help our kids come to that personal decision at home with us and to help them explore that for themselves so that they're not exploring that decision later on in life. And they've been raised to culturally just follow Jesus or just to go along with the flow because it's the easiest thing to do at school until you get to college. And then you go, hang on a minute, it was never really my own personal faith. 
We want to help kids come to their own personal robust decision to follow Jesus. And LA brings that decision very early on to children. And I'm thankful for that because they're living in a multicultural, multi-faith community where to be a Christian is to be the minority, is to be unpopular perhaps. So to have a faith means that they've got to robustly come to a decision of what they believe. I'm thankful therefore that my kids, when they're with us, have to find Jesus for themselves. They can't borrow my faith, they can't borrow their mother's faith, but they have to come to their own personal decision. And we can help them with that. That actually starts their walk with Jesus. I've got nephews and nieces, I've got friends. I used to be in young adult ministry in Raleigh, North Carolina. And in the cultural flow of a Christianized culture called Christendom, most kids don't come to that personal decision because they're not forced to. I'm therefore happy my kids in the playground going, I've got to work out what I believe. <laughs> Secondly, I think LA can help our kids be raised with a confident faith. A confident faith. A confident faith that isn't easily blown over. Because equally, they are in a multicultural, multi-faith, pluralistic, secular society where people are going to go, but what about this? But what about this? How can you believe in Jesus when this? How can you believe in church when that happens? What about other religions? What about suffering? What about this? What about that? I am delighted that my children have to actually find the answers for themselves when they're with us. Then actually just ride through a bubble, not even asking these questions, and they get to college, and they find a professor in their first year of a general ed world religions class destroys their faith in two minutes. That happens. Down the road from me in Raleigh, North Carolina, was a professor, I've read most of his books, called Bart Ehrman, and he delighted to demolish Christianized faith. But it's an opportunity for us to help our kids find, uh, the, the technical word is apologetics, reasons for their faith. That by the time they go to college, they're not phased by the questions that they meet, that they've already worked it out. They've already worked it out because their best friend is a Buddhist and they've had to work it out. They've had to face those questions around sexuality, those questions around other religions, those questions, etc., etc. I believe that we can therefore raise our kids to have a confident faith that is not easily toppled over because they are facing the storms of this city. Thirdly, I believe LA provides the opportunity for our kids to grow up with a real world faith. A real faith that is relevant for the everyday problems of the world around us. Our kids are faced daily with the multicultural, multi-ethical, multi-everything scenarios in our city. And therefore, their faith has to apply, their faith has to be thought out through all these different scenarios. Raised in a monochrome environment where people don't ask the tough questions, where you don't experience people of different faiths or don't experience different oppositions, then you don't robustly think through the nuances of the Christian faith. You don't think through the nuances and the 3D rather than 1D nature of the gospel. Los Angeles causes our kids to be faced with the nitty-gritty of the real world. I'm delighted by that because our faith relates to the nitty-gritty of the real world. 
I want to have conversations with my kids about, but dad, what about that? Or mum, what about that? It's easy to give black and white simple answers to kids until they leave the home and they're faced with, hang on a minute, the real world doesn't fit the paradigm of the simple faith that I grew up with. And yet the city causes them to flesh out their faith in a 3D kind of way. Fourthly, it's a generational faith. Tim Keller suggests in this article, or actually not suggests, but he talks about a study that gave the number one reason why young children follow the faith of their parents rather than reject it. And it wasn't what we think. The number one reason why kids went, I'm, so, I'm a Christian, and actually it's because of this. It was because they saw other adults growing up who were radically outworking their faith and sacrificial life of following Jesus, that it was real to their parents. It was real to their adult friends. And in the suburbs or other parts of the country and other parts of the world, where, Christ, where Christendom is in reality, where going to church is just a hobby and a lifestyle, it's easy for kids to go, well, my parents aren't really suffering for their faith. My parents aren't really sacrificing for their faith. It really does seem like a nice lifestyle, but it's one of convenience. But in the city, when you're deciding to live in the city because God's called you here, when you're saying to your kids, yeah, we're sacrificing because we're living in a thousand square feet apartment. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not leaving the city because we believe God's called us to shape culture from the city. Absolutely. We are sacrificing because this is the truest thing about us, is that we're not living for leisure, pleasure, treasure. We're living for Jesus. And it's that tenacity and that sacrificial faith that is what kids respect in their parents. And that's what tells them this is true because the two people I respect most in life have actually modeled their life and their decisions around it. And so in the city, your kids will have opportunity to look at your life of following Jesus in a sacrificial way. They will also, because we live in the city, they will have greater in input from young adults who are following Jesus in a sacrificial way. When you're out of the city, your kids are mostly going to be surrounded by other kids. And lots of the young adults leave to go to big cities. But when you're in a big city, just Sarah said to me on Sunday, it's amazing that my kids are seeing all these people come to church and they're 24 and they look cool and they're carrying Bibles. That's such an amazing witness to my kids. They're seeing adults sacrificially living out their faith of following Jesus even when it's hard and costs them something. And that's what speaks to your kids. Missional faith. Your kids grow up knowing that the mission of the Christian is to be salt and light in the world and not live in a bubble. Because that's how they were raised. They were raised knowing life's not about safety and retreating into Christendom. Life is about bringing the gospel to those who don't know Jesus because their friends don't know Jesus. And they're already being trained as teenagers to bring their kids to youth group. Invite your friends because this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of Jesus, your friends who are going through anxiety and depression like nothing else and more on that, about that this Sunday when Johnny teaches. What more then to introduce your friends to the goodness and beauty and truth of Jesus Christ. They are living a missional life that you are forming them as missionaries, which is the primary formation of a disciple of Christ. As 
Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. We are sent. And rather than showing, modeling a retreat Christianity, you are modeling a called and sent Christianity to your children. So I believe Los Angeles can be a place where you see your children on fire for Jesus, committed to Jesus, robust in their faith for Jesus, as lifelong followers on this one condition. And that's you play your part. I've said so far that this can happen, but you know it doesn't automatically happen. It can happen, but it doesn't automatically happen. In fact, the opposite could happen. Because I love this city. I love this so much about the city. So I'm not beaten up on the city, but I do recognize that we're in a battle in the city. And that is this city is discipling your kids just as much as you want them to be discipled by Jesus. That this city is not neutral. This city is about 10 to 12 hours a day preaching from a pulpit to your kids a different message than Jesus. Through TV screens, through social media, through the educational system, these are all pulpits preaching to your kids. And so, although I'm saying it's a great place to see your kids come alive in Jesus, it is if we actually preach a counterformational voice to what this city is speaking to our kids. And this, for me, is another advantage because to raise your kids in the city is going to cause you to raise your game. It's going to bring the best out of you because you are in the, a battle. The Bible says it's spiritual forces. We are at battle. And when your kids are listening from the pulpit of social media and educational progressiveness or whatever it is, I don't fear that. I just go, all right, I got my work cut out. And so Lizzie and I have a strategy for our kids that they are formed primarily by the gospel and not by the pulpit of the ideology of this city. And it's caused us to raise our parenting game and to raise our discipleship game. And if you don't want to do that, then your kids won't follow Jesus because they're being preached and discipled 10 hours a day by something else. It's not neutral. And believe me, one hour on Sunday and an optional midweek youth group is not going to cut it. There's no way that one hour on Sunday with Johnny, no matter how good he is, and one hour maybe if they come midweek, is going to form them away from the multitude of messages they're being formed by culture. So this is our strategy. And then I'm going to invite you to develop your own strategy. Number one, commit to a great disciple-making church. I have a suggestion for you. <laughs> but we came to LA going, oh, we're going to provide a place where we come alongside parents and together in collaboration be this counter-formation for their children. And so I would really, if you're not committed to a church like that, please do, and we will try our best at Vintage to do that. Secondly, by being part of a church, you are then going to suddenly surround your kids with what we call spiritual aunties and uncles, where you proactively reach into the lives of 20-somethings and say, can you mentor my kids? They need spiritual aunties and uncles. 
Because there's some conversations about faith I won't be able to have with my kids or my wife. They need other people. So we've had that over the last 10 years. We've, Lizzie in particular has reached out to people, hey, can you do this for my kid? Can you take them out? Can you be that mentor for them? And suddenly our kids have got these amazing, gospel-centered, passionate 23-year-olds taking them out for coffee. But they need that voice. And then attendance. So you've got this church, spiritual aunties and uncles, and you've got you know, all this help. But I've got to say, the bottom line is, we in our family have said, there is zero compromise on your, our kids are going to church and youth group and never missing it. And it's not their decision. Just because we see, just as our kids can't decide whether they feel like going to school, they can't decide whether they go to church and youth group and all the youth trips. Now, we make them amazing, but it's zero compromise. And I say to my kids, their emotions are going to go up and down like that, right? And I say to my kids, don't care. This, this is how we roll as a family. We're not the only religion in the world that does this. You've got Jewish friends. That's what they do as well. But we are Christians. This is how we roll. And guess what? When you're 18, you can do your own thing. But we are fighting for their faith in the city. And there's one thing you take away from this. Don't give your children the permission to opt out from the most important thing that you want to give to them. What does that say about how you value the importance of it? If you go, you can take it or leave it, because at 11 year old, you, you know, you're making a wise choice. It's a zero compromise. So find a great church and commit. Secondly, choose the right school. We're gonna help you more on that. There's homeschooling, there's private schools, there's public schools. Whatever option you choose, you might have different, oh, I'm going to that school, therefore we gotta do a lot more for counterformational. Right? So every situation is unique for you, but recognize what the message is going to be in that school when they are there eight hours a day and recognize whatever that message is, oh, we have to do the opposite with our kids. We have to help them. Choose the right school. Number three, surround your children with the kingdom of God. Surround your children with the kingdom of God. Jesus says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus wooed people into the kingdom. Signs and wonders were normally signs and wonders where it's like, that looks amazing, right? And so our first priority is not for our kids to hear, don't do that, don't do this. Our first priority is to draw them into the beauty and the goodness of the kingdom of God. It's for them to fall in love with it. To fall in love with the type of community with mentors and youth group. It's like, this is amazing. But we don't just rely on, remember, the Sunday and the Wednesday for that. First of all, we foster amazing Christian friendships for our kids as the primary friendship that they enjoy. We don't let the kids determine their primary friendships. Everyone knows the phrase, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And there's wisdom then in helping our kids foster great Christian friendships, which is why attending church and youth group is vital because it takes weeks for your kids to find friends. And every kid leaves a youth group and goes, what? didn't like it, didn't have any friends. And so it takes weeks for them to find friends. And so unless you go, you're going to do it. So we proactively, we've got friends who are pastors of other churches with friends who are our kids' age. And we go, hey, can we hang out? 
We intentionally make sure the primary friendships that our kids are going to soak in go on the internet together with, go out when they're unsupervised with the people who are looking to follow Jesus. We find mentors for our kids. I've already talked about that. We then in the summers, beyond our own youth group, we send them on amazing Christian experiences. So we go on a family vacation. That includes a big family church camp. If there was mission trips, we'd do that. We want to surround them with the kingdom of God. We normally plan our summers based around you know, a beach and a Bellini somewhere. <laughs> but what about basing our vacations around investing in our children in the kingdom of God and having fun at the same time? You've, in this city, this could be amazing, but you've got to be intentional with your kids around these things. Uh, fourthly, teenage intentionality. Teenage intentionality, which means this. Your teenage years are really important with your kids. Therefore, we don't just go, Johnny, can you help and sort that out for us? We, and I'm entering into, we've got resources that we are being the primary disciples of our kids during their teenage years. Particularly, I'm starting with boys. I'm starting with my son. Our girls, thankfully, I didn't know this. And so thankfully, we had a youth group that did it for our girls. But with my son, I'm starting, and we're doing what we call an intentional journey of four years of me investing in my son with regular trips, father-son trips, things I want him to learn and read. We're going to serve together. We're going to do lots of things together that he is shaped intentionally around the will and the purposes of Jesus Christ. And then finally, and this is what your kids won't want to do. This is the one that bites and you've got to hold your ground, which is limit secular discipleship. Limit secular discipleship. You want your kids to live in the real world, but you don't want them to be formed by the world. And we then have to be brave to limit the discipleship that this culture is giving to your children and our children. I've already said, busy them with great kingdom experiences. So take up their time with youth group and youth trips and we're doing this, this is amazing. But equally, they're still bombarded and we have to put up boundaries for the sake of our children. So that means for us, we put up digital boundaries that we have very strict what is a screen and how long you can look at it and what you can access. A screen is like giving a young boy the top shelf pornographic material of the 80s. That's what a screen does. They can access anything. And so we limit that because that will form our children. Social media forms your children into depressing, anxiety-ridden children because they don't realize, they realize they'll never live up to the images they see on the screen. And Lizzie and I have decided, you know what, we're going to give our kids such an alternative, wonderful life that, yeah, we're going to say no to that stuff and appropriately teach them how to incorporate that when the time is right, into their maturity. So when they go for sleepovers, we go, great, we want to know what the environment's going to be when they go sleepover. I was exposed to porn the very first time at a sleepover when I was 12 years old. And that was the magazine days. Now, who knows? 
So we are starting to ask people who our kids go, and we want to go, hey, before Sam comes over for a play date, he's 12 now, not a play date, but you know, to hang out, what's your screen policy? What's your screen policy? Well, no, they have a phone, they can do whatever they want. Great. Could your kid come to our house and have a play date at our house? Because that phone is not allowed to be on in our house. And they're going to have the best time. But it's not going to be just surfing the web. Friends, movies, what TV they watch. We live in a city that, and actually a culture that has decided these things are just normal and not harmful. But we're kidding ourselves. And so again, sleepovers or play dates, and they go, we're going to watch a movie. I'll go, yeah, which movie? And we've never been in a city like this where a 12-year-old can be watching an R-rated movie and no one blinks an eyelid. It's like, wake up. And so I say to my son, sorry, you can't watch it. And so thankfully, some parents go, great, we'll watch a different movie. But we have to be guardians of the formation that's coming to our children. So in conclusion, I think L.A., is the best place to raise your kids. Because <laughs> it's going to cause you to raise your game. Now, here's the thing. The problem, the challenge is, if you go to a city that is less obvious about these things, guess what? They're still there. But you don't raise your game and you lose your kids anyway. Because these things are there, but they're below the water level. LA is awesome because they're on display. <laughs> you know what you're fighting. But believe me, as a pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina, all these things were happening, but parents thought because culture was sweet and nice on the surface, they didn't need to tackle them. But I just think, praise the Lord, we're in a city that we see what's on display. We're just stepping into our calling that God has called us to, to raise our game as parents, to see our church thrive in being an amazing center. And actually then, to be in a family that is so close together because we've done kingdom adventures together. I'd never raise my kids anywhere but the city. Sarah, you got some more things. All right. Well, as Gare said, I do get to share just a few final thoughts about the opportunities, and then we're going to take a little break. We'll take a 10-minute break, and then we'll come back for um, just some final thoughts. Let me grab my notes. Thank you, Gare, for sharing that. Um, and before I finish, I guess I do just want to echo what Gare shared, that John and I have definitely experienced, which is that um, these aren't automatically opportunities, all these things in our city. Um, there is that aspect of having to avail ourselves of these things to raise, I didn't have the language of raise our game. I guess I'm going to say raise our game to you guys as well. Um, because it is a question of whether or not we long for that environment, whether it's the suburbs or we try to create that environment here where we try to insulate or isolate our children or to use a metaphor I learned a long time ago from a mentor, woman of mine, before I even had kids, and it's a little trickier in 2021, but I'm going to go for it. Um, she shared with me that there's a certain wisdom in inoculating 
versus insulating when it comes to parenting through the hard stuff. Again, it's a little controversial, 2021. <laughs> Talk about inoculations. <laughs> um, but to me, it still applies. And it's just this metaphor of the exposure to these things while still under our roof that Garrett talked about. Um, is, and the obviousness of them in this city is really a great chance for their immune systems, to continue the metaphor, um, to start to develop while they're under our roof. So again, that's just something for us to be thinking about, inoculating versus isolating, because we know our children will be exposed to darkness, and again, whether it's in LA or Raleigh, or Gary likes to talk about Nashville a lot, so let's just pick Nashville. Um, we know they will expo be exposed to darkness along the way in their lives. Satan is the prince of this world, we know this. Um, and of course we have to be wise about this and we have to be gatekeepers. We absolutely have to be gatekeepers. Um, but both Garen, Lizzie and John and I, and again apparently Tim and Kathy Keller, um, can testify that the Lord can not only protect our children, but bless them as they are exposed to the worldliness that's so obviously on display in life in the city. And so for the sake of time, I'm going to just blow through, and if you want to sort of think about these later, I have three more points that we, we took directly from Tim Keller um, about the potential blessings and opportunities of raising your kids in the city. And the first is that children grow up with diversity, handling diversity well, all sorts of diversity, racial, socioeconomic, disabilities. Um, and it's funny, this actually reminds me of a story with my sister and her life in the suburbs. We went to take the kids to see the movie Wonder, and my kids walked out of the movie and they were like, I don't get it. I don't, do you guys remember that movie, Wonder? Do you guys know about that? Okay, it's, a, it's the story of a boy who had a facial deformity and it was just this arc of this story and where he was bullied and, and it was a, you know, a very much of a triumphal story in the end. But my kids were like, do, do people, do kids really treat other kids like that for not, like for being different? And it was this moment as a parent where I thought, well, I could really pat myself on the back and be like, what well, didn't I raise my children right? And like, but no, I really did realize that my children grew up being exposed to so many different types of people and that it increased their imagination of our common humanity. And that that's part of living in an urban environment. Cities, especially this one, attract a lot of people who are trying to make their mark. And so we also just have a lot of people, whether it's at church or other kids' parents who march to the beat of their own drummer, what they do professionally, what kind of cars they drive, what they wear, and all of this increases our kids' imaginations to become the people, the individuals that God created them to be. And all of this, I'm convinced, these all tie together, lead to the potential blessing of children who are raised in the city, Keller says in particular, and I agree with him, that they grew up with more confidence, independence, and self-reliance. And we've seen this with our daughter, Molly, who we've launched over the years, first to summer camps and now in school and college. Um, and she can now see this too, that her childhood here in the city gave her the opportunity to build strong muscles of marching to the beat of her own drummer. And it served her well, and it really serves all of us well, as we continue in our own discipleship. The more these muscles developed of comfort and diversity, of not feeling the need to conform, of more independence, the more our children are equipped in ways that serve formation. And all these gifts 
again, are nothing that John and I could have imagined 21 years ago, um, but that I thank God for and this part of prospering our family as we built houses and settled down and prayed for the prosperity of Los Angeles. We said a lot tonight, and it, there's, there's a lot more to be said and that we could say, but I just want to finish with this right now on sort of the last section, this idea of parenting and partnership. Um, I just want to share with you a quick aha moment that I had just in the last two months um, and as I was sort of on a very steep learning curve of what does it mean when you say family ministry? There's lots of different models for that. It means a lot of different things. And I came across an article um, that has already helped me shape my hopes and my imagination for what vintage family ministry is about. And this article was referring to a famous passage that we have in the Old Testament, and it's a sacred passage to the Jewish people and also for us that I want to just remind us. I'm going to read for a moment. It's Deuteronomy 6, um, verses 4 through 9. And this is the command, the instruction to the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And again, this is a familiar passage, I imagine, to a lot of us. However, what this article read that I read pointed out, and again, this aha moment for me, is that these instructions to impress these things on our children were not simply to the biological parents of these children. These instructions were given at a time where the family was a clan of up to 80 people living together, doing life together, breaking bread together, walking on the road. They were villages. And we have this expression, it takes a village to raise a child throughout our culture, and yet we in the church really could do a much better job of living that out. When I hear Lizzie and Gare talk about the spiritual aunties and uncles they've had here at Vintage, as someone who's new to Vintage and wasn't a part of this particular community, I'm, I'm jealous. I don't want that to just be for the PKs, for the pastor's kids. I want all of us to be able to say that our kids have these connections, these intergenerational connections. So that is our vision here. And um, we want to equip you at home. And I'm just going to quickly draw your attention. We've started to put together some resources. And I, this is the youth minister and me. We have the five Ps. <laughs> it's like Sesame Street version. Helps us all remember. The five Ps of praying for your children. So take a look at this. It's just meant to be a blessing to encourage you to pray for your kids. And then we have the five Cs of family discipleship. And on the front of this are just the principles that we're talking about, and we've talked a little bit about tonight. And then on the back are actually these amazing things that Fiona and Amanda and others put together of things that happen on Sunday that you can do at home. Because as Gare said, one hour on Sunday or an hour in the middle of the week compared to all the other hours that our culture are discipling our children, it's just not going to cut it. So these little things like God spot and open hands and teaspoon prayers, these are some really practical things. 
because we all need to be encouraging one another and equipping one another um, to raise our kids. I think as Gare said, and just to end with this, this is a lot of information. And I had sent a really dear friend a text earlier. I was like, do you have any parenting books you recommend? Because I was putting together this list. She's like, I don't read parenting books. They just make me feel bad <laughs> that I'm not doing a very good job. And so I ho hope above all that as you, we wrap up tonight that you will know that again, and I just point to these, that if the Lord has called you and given you the children he's given you and brought you to this city for such a time as this, he will equip you. And that's our hope. It's not in the books that we read or the answers that we have. It's that he is our good shepherd, and he's going to help us shepherd our kids as we lean on him. So let me pray. Father, um, I do just lean in, actually, to this prayer that you've given me over the years that, um, that you really are a good shepherd, Jesus. You go before us, and you come behind us. Thank you, Lord that you come behind us in all of the ways that we are messy and broken and our brokenness affects the lives of those we love, the ones we're closest to. Thank you that you come behind us and that you create pleasant boundary lines, safe pasture for us and for our families. We just look to you to continue to shepherd us individually and as a church and as a family ministry, God. Would you lead us in the events that we have, would you lead us as parents to get us out the door to get to church, to get to youth, to get to the fellowship and the prayer group that we desperately need, Lord? Just continue to go before us, and may your goodness and your mercy follow us and follow our kids and follow all of these families, Lord, all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.